doing? Good? I can already tell you're a little bit uh, more lively than the last service. That's more caffeine. Um, super excited to be here with you guys. I, I, uh, the last eight weeks, I've been in a different state every single weekend. Um, and I live in Portland, so being here, uh, even though I'm away from home, definitely feels like home. And I got to bring my son with me. We drove. We ate lots of pizza and swam in a pool last night. So uh, it's, I, I totally feel at home, even though I'm away from home this weekend. And, and I was actually here in March, um, which I think was recently. I never know what day or month it is. But um, I was here in March talking to all the men, uh, or a lot of the men that go to this church. And we did a whole conference uh, about a month ago. So that was super fun. Anyway, I'm excited to be back. Yesterday, as my son and I were driving around town, looking for a good pizza spot. I just felt like uh, this reminded me a little bit of the neighborhood or the town that I grew up in back home. I, I came from uh, California and moved to Portland about 10 years ago from California. I grew up uh, in uh, Northern California, kind of a rougher part of town, for lack of better words, the ghetto. Uh, we, were, we didn't have a lot of money growing up. We were poor. My dad bailed when I was three and so it was just me and my three sisters, and I was the baby boy. So every, everything in our house was a girl except me, uh, like fish, dogs, sisters, mom, like, and then me. So you can imagine all the trauma I've gone through, uh, like getting dressed up and putting makeup on against my will. Um, still, like to this day, lots of um, counseling has gone to that. Um, so that was my childhood. Uh, Growing up, my mom, she worked uh, hard, man. She was a single mom. Uh, I know there's some single moms here. Uh, I just have so, I have kids now, like Kevin said. I'm just, man, I just, single moms have such a special place in my heart. My mom was a single mom, worked so hard to provide for us and just keep food on the table and keep electricity on. She just worked so hard. Um, but the expectation was that as soon as you're able, uh, you're going to get a job and pull your weight around here. Like that, that was just like, ingrained in us like as soon as you're able to work you work and and you're helping out because we could use all the help we could get <laughs> so uh, I was like I was looking forward to it I was like personally excited to get a job uh, I was anxious to start getting to work so as soon as I turned 12 uh, I was looking for jobs and you can't really get a job when you're 12 but in my town uh, where I grew up you could get a job at 12 as a paper boy um, delivering newspapers and for some of you under 20, a newspaper is this paper where they print words on and tells you the news. You're like, why don't you just use an app for that? Well, there was no app. We had no apps, okay? So there's no push notifications. You actually had to, like, pull out the paper and read about it. Um, so I literally would go around, and I would throw these newspapers at people's door at 4 in the morning. Uh, they would drop the papers off at, like, 3 in the morning at our house. I'd get up. I'd roll the newspapers put the rubber band on them, put the thing on. It was heavy. It weighed like six times my weight and tried to balance my bike without killing myself and drive at four in the morning, you know, with my bike. Super sketchy neighborhood. I'm looking back. I'm like, mom, was that legal? Was that good parenting? Like, should you put me out there? It's like, yeah, pull your weight. Let's go. Like, get to work. You know, so I, I'm out there delivering newspapers. And I felt good. Honestly, working like that kind of gave me a chip on my shoulder. Like, I would go to work. I'm in sixth grade at this point. You know, I'm 12 years old. And I would, go to, I would go to school, and I kind of felt like, hey, like, I'm working. I've stepped into a career, you know? Like, what are you guys doing with your lives, you know? You're playing Nintendo. I'm over here pulling my weight, you know? 
I kind of get, got a chip on my shoulder, but I didn't want to, for whatever reason in my young brain, like paper boy didn't sound that cool. It didn't like carry the weight of what I was feeling in my heart. It didn't match. So I'm like, you know, I'd go to school and I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a working man. Like I was up early working hard this morning. And all my friends would be like, what do you do? Like, what do you do for work? Oh my gosh, you have a career? Like, tell us about it. What do you do? And again, paper boy just didn't feel right. It didn't have the weight. So I'm like, uh, well, I'm like an assistant journalist, you know, like I, I just make sure the news gets delivered to people, you know, like, you know, oh, okay, wow, that's cool, you know. When, right after I was a paper boy, my next job was actually at a gym, which just by looking at me, that's obvious that I worked at a gym. I'm not supposed to laugh at that, like the older I get. So everyone, sometimes they laugh. There's like real hard laughs. I'm like, okay, that feels real personal. You know, like, why are you laughing that hard? You know, there's no way you could ever work at a gym. Look at you. Uh, so <laughs> I worked at a gym and all my friends, when I tell people I worked at a gym, all my friends were like, you know, they're, oh my gosh, what are you like a manager? What do you do? What do you do? Personal trainer? Like, what do you do at the gym? And I wanted that to be true. I wanted those things to be true because that sounds cool, like personal trainer. I lift weights. I help people get in shape. The truth is, it was a terrible job. It was like the worst job. My job at the gym was to go around and collect all the sweaty towels and then take them into the laundry room in the back, wash them, dry them, fold them, and then hand them to the next person. Like, I'm just covered in people's sweat all day. It's like disgusting, you know, it's the worst job. But you can't tell that to your peers, right? I work at a gym, what are you? I'm the towel boy. Like, oh, you know, that's terrible. That's a, nobody wants, that doesn't sound cool, being a towel boy. So I try to embellish it in my mind a little bit. I try to like kind of make up some stories to make them think it was actually cooler. So they're like, what do you do at the gym? And I'm like, well, I'm like a, I'm like a workout recovery specialist. Uh, I just help people, like I'm, I specialize in helping people recover from workouts, like, oh, yeah, I didn't know that was a thing. He's like, yeah, it's a thing. Uh, I'm the manager of it, actually. True, yeah. Like, I manage myself to do it. From a young age, we're kind of, it's embedded in us, like deep into our little minds that what we do is deeply tied to who we are. Who we are is tied to what we do. Like, those two things are synonymous, right? If I met you, if I just walked up to you after the service and I shake your hand, I'm like, hey, what's up? My name's Jared. What's your name? Within about 30 seconds, the question's going to come up, so what do you do, right? Because what we're trying to do is we're trying to, like, box, e- box each other in. This is especially true for men. What do you do? What we're really is asking is, who are you? But if we just ask that, like, hey, who are you? Well, I'm an accountant. No, no, no. Who are you? I, I, like I'm, I'm a construction worker. No, who are you? I'm a teacher. Dude, why are you asking me all these questions? This is weird. Like, I don't know who I am, right? Like, what, this is, stop asking me that. Because we don't know who we are outside of what we do. It's deeply tied to who we are. It's what I do. Who, what I do and who I am are really the same thing. I can't separate those two things in my mind. It's true even to this day, right? Like, you, you want to look at who I am, like, who's Jared? Right? You go on like social media, Facebook, Instagram, right? Like, and I'm going to try to project to you, just like I was doing back as a 12-year-old, I'm going to try to project to you who I am by the things I do. Oh, look, I just traveled here. Look at how my kids are smart. The reality is like, I'm just a broken, jacked up dude. My house is a mess. Like, thing, I don't know what I'm doing in life. Like, I'm confused. But we all try to project things to other people. We all live our lives trying to like project our best selves. But the truth is like, 
I don't really know what I'm doing. I'm just trying to convince myself and you that what I do is deeply tied to who I am. I actually went to Africa several years ago, and as I was in one of the villages in Africa, I was meeting people, and I'd say, hey, I'm Jared, and they'd say, hi, I'm so-and-so, and I am a child of God. Or they'd say, hi, my name is so-and-so, and I've been saved by God. Struck me. I was like taken back by this. I'd never heard anybody talk like this before. What they wanted to say was, here's the most important thing about me. I've been saved by God. Before you know everything else about me or what I do, just know the God of the universe saved me. It's crazy. It, was, it became the thing that stuck out to me the most out of that whole trip. Imagine if I met you and I just said, hey, I'm Jared, uh, and I'm just, I, like, I've been saved by God. Crazy. I'm, I'm a broken dude. I'm sinful. Like, I'm trying to figure this stuff out. But before you know anything else about me, how many kids I have, what I do for work and all that, just you need to know I'm loved by God. This is crazy. This is the most important thing that you need to know about me. The God of the universe loves me. It'd be weird, right? We don't do that. It'd be crazy. But yet that's what we claim to be true as Christians. And yet it never even, if I met you, we'd talk about my job. We'd probably never even get to the fact that I actually love Jesus. And more importantly, Jesus loves me. It may never even come up in conversation. And yet we claim that's the most important thing about us. There was this time in human history where humans actually believed that who they are was directly tied to who Jesus or who God said they were. Very short time in human history. In fact, it only lasts about one page in the scriptures. God is creating. God creates the sun and the moon and the stars and the galaxies and the planets and the oceans and the mountains, and the beasts of the field, and he's creating, and he's creating, and he's creating. After all the things that he creates, he says, this is good, this is good, this is good. And then God says, let us create man in our own image. And he says, this is really good, but it's not good that man is alone. And so he creates for him, the Bible says, a helper, and he brings the two. It's the first marriage we ever see in Scripture. Man and woman come together. And at the beginning of the story, like, things are awesome. They work. God says, here's what I want you to do. Tend the garden and make babies. That's a sweet gig. <laughs> like, that's good stuff, right? That's your job. Enjoy some healthy organic food and make babies. Enjoy each other. Enjoy me. That's your role. And they did. It was like, great. It was exactly as God designed it. It was awesome. And then... There's a radical turn in the story. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, it will be on the screen. If you're new to the Bible, Genesis is the very first book of the Bible. So you just go past the table of contents. You'll see it here. God has created everything as he designed it to be. Things are awesome. They're enjoying Listen, they work. They're doing stuff. And yet their identity has nothing to do with anything other than the fact of we're loved by God. The, the God that created all this, he like knows us and loves us. That's all they knew as identity. And then this happens. Genesis chapter 3 verse 1 says this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat from, of any tree in the garden? Now let's just pause for a second. Look at me. 
Did God say that they couldn't eat from any tree in the garden? Literally, God said the opposite. You can eat from any tree in the garden except one. The very first time we ever see Satan open his mouth, he tells a lie. Very important to remember. Satan shows up for the first time in our scriptures in humanity, and the very first words out of his mouth are a lie. Did God say, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Listen to this, verse 5. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that it was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate it and she also gave some to her stupid passive husband who was standing with her the whole time. My translation. Like, bro, what? You were there? Like you were just standing there quietly the whole time? Men all the time talk to me like, hey, yeah, I'm a, I'm a protector for my wife. I'll take a bullet for my wife. Cool. Like, have you ever had to do that before? Like, most of us aren't going to be taking bullets for our wife anytime soon. So you want to be a man? You want to, like, protect your wife? Stop letting the evil one whisper lies into her ears while you stand passively by. What it looks like as men to lead our wives is to step in when we can tell that the enemy is trying to whisper lies into her ear and say, baby, no, what? No, I'm not going to stand here quietly as the enemy tries to convince you of that, it has nothing to do with you losing weight or being smarter or being a better mom or having a better... No, baby, those are lies. Those are lies from the evil one. Let me tell you who you are. That's, I'm, that's a whole separate message. We can get into the whole marriage thing. I won't, but man. <laughs> husbands, this is what it looks like for us to lead our wives. We step in, not like... what the, you, you were there, bro? Like, what? He, oh man, he says, stand in there like a fool. She took of the fruit and ate it, and she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate like, bro, what, what are you doing? Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths, a.k.a. they felt shame, and they hid themselves. This was the lie that Satan was telling Eve that day. If you do this, you will be like this. Or another way of saying it, here's what you could be like. If you do this, here's what you could be like. That was the temptation that was presented to Eve that day. Listen, it had nothing to do with a piece of fruit. Where's Eve? Like you can tell me. Where's Eve? In the garden. Of Eden, before sin. She can literally turn in any direction and grab a piece of non-GMO, organic, farm-to-table fruit. Like there is good food all around her. 
food was not the temptation. She had good food everywhere. It wasn't the temptation. It was, here's what you'll be like. That was the temptation. If you do this, you will be this. Now listen, Satan is incredibly effective. If I just sat here on the stage and I passed a microphone and we one by one said, hey, just tell me all your deepest sins. It'd be really entertaining, but I'm not going to do that. If we just passed the microphone and we said, tell, like, just tell me how Satan has like, kind of worked in your life or tripped you up or got you caught in sin and tangled you up in sin, right? We would spend the next 50,000 years here because it would take a long time. He's incredibly effective. The enemy is incredibly effective. But hear me, his tactics are not new. The same lie that he whispered into Eve's ear this day, if you do this, you will be like this, is the same exact lie that he's whispering into your ear today. I don't care if you're six or 600 years old. It's the same lie that he's whispering into all of our ears. If you do this, you will be this. Or here's what you could be. Some of you are looking at me confused. Let me try to prove my point here. Listen to what, if, if any of these examples might resonate with you. I'm just going to throw a stab at the dark here. Just throw something up. You tell me if this resonates with you at all. If you buy this, you will be satisfied. If you go on vacation, you will be relaxed, finally. If you get that promotion, you'll finally be financially secure. If you could just check that thing off your bucket list, you'll finally be happy. If you are productive, you will be worthy. If you can accomplish this, you will be valuable. If you could just marry this person or that person, you'll finally be happy. If you just stayed productive, you'd be important. If you follow all the rules and do everything God says, you'll finally be loved by God. If you can make everyone laugh, you'll be liked. If you lose weight, you'll be more confident. If you follow this health coach or this exercise plan or this beauty regimen, you'll finally be beautiful and you'll live longer. Do any of these sound familiar? Could literally go all day. It's the same lie that Satan is whispering into our ears that he did to Eve that day. If you do this, you'll finally be satisfied. And it's that lie that compels us to buy more and to stay busy. And the truth is, we're exhausted. I call this salt water. Imagine you're in the middle of the ocean, stranded on a raft. And you are dying of thirst. You're real thirsty. And the worst part is, you're surrounded by water. It's a terrible way to die. Super thirsty, surrounded by water. A couple days go by, your mouth's getting real parched. So you, despite what you know to be true, you scoop of the salt water and you take a drink. And for a second, you're like, that was a good idea. That satisfied my mouth for a minute. This cold water feels good. And then pretty quickly you're like, that was not a good idea. In fact, now you're more thirsty. 
And so despite what you know to be true, you go back for the salt water, you scoop it up, you take another drink, and you play the whole cycle over again. That was satisfying, and yet it leaves you more thirsty. And you keep drinking the salt water, and it keeps leaving you thirsty, and eventually it kills you. Listen to me, friends. The lies of the enemy always lead to death and exhaustion. All of us are scooping up of things that we think, if I just did this, here's who I could be. I could be smart and happy and relaxed and satisfied. How did that salt water play out for you? If I just had that iPhone, I'd finally be happy. Did it work? Let me make it more personal. If I just married the right person, I'd finally feel satisfied or complete. How'd that work out? You get about six months into marriage and you realize, ah, this isn't going to complete me like I thought it would. We laugh secretly because our spouses are with us, but any married person's like, come on, preach. Your wife or your husband, I don't care how awesome they are, they're salt water. They can't satisfy your soul the way it's longing to be satisfied. No phone can, no bank account can, no vacation can. Do you ever go on vacation? Come back, and you're like, I need a vacation. You're like more tired than when you started? Sums off. Didn't satisfy your soul. It's still exhausted. Listen, I'm not talking about your body physically tired. I'm talking about your soul is exhausted. Anyone feel that? Your soul is tired. And we keep searching for things that's going to fill up our soul to give us some kind of satisfaction and rest. And nothing's working. We're scooping the salt water. And we keep drinking, hoping this is the drink that's going to satisfy. And it just leaves us more thirsty. Why? Because the lies of the enemy always lead to death and exhaustion. We are exhausted people. We're exhausted. Our calendars are full. How many times do you meet somebody? Hey, how's it going? I'm good, just busy. How's it going? Things are great, man. I'm just really busy. It's a busy season. Really? Did the season ever end? Seems just like you're always busy. Seems like we're always just busy. What are we doing? We're just filling our calendar. We're buying more stuff in hopes that something would actually satisfy us. And the truth is, all of us are exhausted. That's bad news. If I prayed right now and we left, that'd be pretty depressing. (laughs) It's bad news. There's good news. I won't leave you there. There's good news. Matthew 11 says this. Matthew 11, 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. Some of your translations say all who are weary. Translated, all who are exhausted. Come to me, all who are exhausted, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for what? Your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Some of us are just convinced, we've convinced ourselves that the good news of the gospel is just a one-day thing. One day we'll die and we'll get to be with God forever and it will finally be great, for sure. Looking forward to that day. Awesome. But you know what Jesus said? 
Pray that God's kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven today. Meaning the good news of the gospel isn't just a one-day thing, it's a today thing. Are you exhausted today? There's rest for your weary soul, friend. Your soul can find rest in Jesus. The lies of the enemy always lead to exhaustion and death. The promises of Jesus always lead to life and rest. I don't care where you're at on this whole spiritual journey. You came in skeptical. You said you don't even believe in God. All the way to the person you, you, you were born in the baptismal, right? You, were, you just like came out a Christian. I don't care where you're at on that journey. All of us need this good news. That there's rest for our exhausted souls. And the truth is our souls are exhausted. And Jesus says, I'm going to give you rest. All the other things. Listen how he said it to a woman at the well. Remember the story of the woman at the well? She's getting water. And Jesus turns to her and he says, hey, you want some water that will never make you thirsty again? She's like, yep. <laughs> Where can I find that water? He says, your soul is thirsty and you can come to me. I'm the living water that will make your soul never thirst again. Jesus says, hey, you're going out drinking that salt water. Is your soul thirsty? Come to me and your soul will never thirst again. Friends, that's good news. The truth is, majority of us are going to walk out of these doors and go out and get in our car and we will be bombarded with things that want to fill our calendar. We're going to pull up our Amazon app and make a couple prime purchases that will be at our house before we even get home. Because that's real life. I'm not naive. I'll probably buy something before I end this message. <laughs> hey, Siri, right? <laughs> now I just lost the older crowd. They're like, who are you talking to? Who's Siri? <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's the reality. The reality is that we're going to be bombarded. You know they say that in one day, you will have hundreds if not thousands of advertisements. You will see hundreds if not thousands of advertisements in one day. The truth is, the whole world right now, outside of this room, as soon as you walk in there, is going to say, hey, I have something that can satisfy your soul. Hey, I have something that can satisfy your soul. Hey, if you just have this, you could be like this. It's the same lie of the enemy. If you do this, you will be this. And the whole world, our whole culture, is set up to feed you that truth or that lie. If you just do this, you'll finally be satisfied. And we'll walk out of here, and the truth is, majority of us will forget. We'll forget. You'll hear the message. You're like, yeah, Jared, preach. It's good. Yes, I need the rest. We'll walk out of here. We'll get in our cars, and we will forget. When I was in eighth grade, it was the first time I had finally made, or the first time I had actually made a decision to follow Jesus, uh, it was like conscious decision. I remember seeing, I was in eighth grade, and some of my friends had started to like take this path where they were doing some pretty sketchy stuff. And I remember thinking, I, I felt like I was at that crossroads of really feeling like, am I going to go down this path with them? Or am I going to trust that Jesus is who he says he is? And am I going to try to live in obedience to the ways of Jesus? And so I made that commitment. I said, Lord, I don't want to live in this world. I don't want to try to be God of my own life. I want you to be God of my life. And I'm going to try to figure out what it looks like to follow you. And the first thing in me, the, like the first response in me as I did this was to, I, what I felt was I need to go serve. I don't know why. Nobody told me. I just felt like this in my gut, like just go serve. 
There's something, there's a story bigger than you. Go serve somewhere. It was this compelling, this compelling thing inside of me. So I got on my bike, like, you know, 13, 14 years old, got on my bike, rode my bike. Across the street from the church was what's, what was a, a convalescent hospital, like a retirement city, but for sick elderly people. So I just thought, I'm going to go there and serve. I don't know what I'll do, but I'll just go there and I'll serve. I rode my bike, show up to the convalescent hospital, walk into the front doors, throw off my helmet. I'm all sweaty. I stink, you know, like a gross teenage boy. The lady at the desk is like kind of taken back, like what's going on here? And I show up and I say, hey, is there anything I can do to volunteer? And then she was like really taken back, like what? what? Who are you? What's going on right now? And I could tell she was kind of fumbling through, like she didn't really know what to say to that. And as she was kind of fumbling through, trying to think of an answer, this guy guy walked by uh, named Donald. He was a resident there. And she said, uh, do you want to play checkers with Donald? And I was like, I was thinking like sweet floors or something, but sure, I'll play checkers. If that's like the need, I'll play checkers with Donald. So we go over to the corner, we sit down and we set up the checkerboard with Donald to play. We sit down and Donald goes first turn, boom, makes his first turn. I'm sitting there. Now listen, I'm super competitive. I don't care if you're nine or 99, I'm going to try to beat you right? Like, I want to beat you, Donald. I'm here to play. Let's go. So I get real strategic, like overly strategic and competitive in my mind. So I'm just like hovering over the board, like, all right, what's my next move? Where am I going to go? How am I going to beat Donald? I'm here to serve Jesus. This is awesome. And I'm waiting. And as I'm like strategically thinking this in my mind, Donald goes again. I'm like, hey, yo, Donald, you just went. He's like, no, I didn't. I'm like, like, okay, so I get down again. I'm like just thinking, I I kid you not, as I'm sitting there, Donald goes again. I'm like, Donald, bro, you just went again. It's my turn. Donald says, no, I didn't. Now I'm in a weird situation. I'm 13 years old. I don't know how to argue with this man. I got, what do I do in this situation? I'm like, Donald, you just went. He literally says, you're cheating. I kid you not, true story. Flips the checkerboard and then takes off. I don't even know how to handle this situation. Like, I'm here to try to serve the Lord, right? And you're flipping checkers. Like, what are we doing right now? What has my life become? Maybe I should have gone with my friends. Like, this is weird. I leave. I'm like, oh, like confused. Like, what? what how? I, the next day I come back, walk in the front doors, kid you not, Donald is standing at the front desk, giant smile on his face, like, hey, Jared, you want to play checkers? I'm like, yeah, Donald, let's go, man. Let's play some checkers. I'm not joking when I say he cheated again. He kept going when it wasn't his turn. I was even trying to play as fast as I could. I was like, in my mind that night, going to bed, I'm like strategically playing out moves so I could be faster. And he still beat me, and and he's like going over and over. I spent the whole summer having Donald cheat at checkers, right? Because he just kept forgetting. Donald had a memory problem. The truth is, if you have somebody that you've walked close with that is dealing with memory problems, it's, it's, not, real, it's not a funny thing. We have people uh, in our family who are dealing with some very serious memory issues. And it, man, it's hard. I don't know. It's one of the hardest diseases to walk somebody through. It is so hard uh, as people are losing their memory. But there's sometimes, as checkerboards are getting flipped, where you just have to laugh, right? Donald had a memory problem. And the truth is, we have a case of the Donald's. As Christians, we will come and we will read these words. Come to me, all you who are weary, and I'll give you rest. And you're like, yeah, that's good. 
And you know what? You're going to forget real quick. You're going to forget. You're going to walk out of this room, and as funny as it was that Donald literally had no recollection that he was cheating the very next day, you will forget this message probably by the end of this day. I'm not naive to that. But here's the good news. God, in all his brilliance, created a rhythm where he says, listen, I know you're prone to forget. And so I'm going to set up a rhythm where every single week I want you to stop and to rest and to remember this truth. There is nothing you can accomplish today. There is nothing that you can buy that would make me love you any more than I love and delight in you right now. That's a gift from God. Every single week, I want you to stop. Stop working. Stop buying. Stop moving. Clear your calendar. Just stop and remember, your value is not in what you do or what you buy or what you have. Your value is in who I say you are and you are a beloved child of mine. I love you. So stop. And remember, every single week, because the truth is, if you don't do it every single week, you'll have a case of the Donald's. You will forget. It's God's command and also his greatest gift. One of the greatest gifts I think we as Christians are missing out on is the gift of rest for exhausted souls. Every single dinner in my house, we sit down, we light candles, And my kids repeat these words after me. We call it the benediction. Every single night, my kids say this. I'm not what I do. I'm not what I have. I'm not what people say about me. I'm the beloved of God. It's who I am. No one can take it from me. I don't have to hurry. I don't have to worry. I can trust my friend Jesus and share his love with the world. Every single day we say that. And you know what, what we do as we're eating dinner? As my five-year-old and my seven-year-old repeat those words, I close my eyes and I open my hands because I want the truth of the gospel coming out of their little mouths to go deep into my heart. Because that's truth. And I need to be reminded of that truth every single day. I'm not who I am. I'm not what people say about me. I'm not what I have. I'm not what I do. I'm a beloved of God. Do you know what I think the greatest evangelism tool in 2019 will be? The most effective thing that we can do as Christians in 2019? Rest well. Do you know that Sabbath in the Jewish culture actually starts at night on purpose? They eat a big dinner, and then you know what they do after dinner? Sleep on purpose. Because here's what the truth is underneath that. Even while I'm sleeping and accomplishing nothing, God loves me. And so every week we remember that, even while I can do nothing. It's the good news of the gospel. You did nothing to earn it. And yet he loves you. So every week, remember, think about this. When God created Adam, he created the whole world And on the sixth day, he created man. Then what did God do on the next day? Rest. Day seven for God was rest, but day one for Adam was also rest. 
the very first day of human history was a day of rest. This is crazy. Before God said, get to work, go make babies, go tend to the garden, go do all this stuff. Yes, there's plenty to do, but before you do anything, just enjoy me. and Let me enjoy you. The very first day in human history was a day of rest. It's one of the greatest gifts that I think we are missing as Christians. You want to capture your neighbor's attention? When your neighbors say, hey, how are you? And you say, I'm good. I feel really good and rested. I promise you they're going to be like, I need to know more. We just don't find people who rest. We find we're surrounded by busy people. You want to tell your friends about the good news of Jesus? Show them how at rest your soul is. Yes, life is hard. Hard things are coming up. I don't know how I'm going to pay the bills. I'm trying to figure all this stuff out. But at the deepest parts of my soul, I'm rested because I know there's nothing I can do today that would make God love me any more than he loves me right at this moment. So I'm rested. That'll capture your neighbor's attention for sure. Uh, I'm going to invite my son up here, actually. Like I said, we do this benediction every single day. And uh, I just want you to be able to speak these words of truth. Uh, So he's going to lead you in that. If you would feel comfortable, would you stand with me? We'll just put our hands out. In the same way that we do every dinner, we want to believe these words to be true. And uh, as my kids say them, I actually repeat them back. So uh, if you feel comfortable, you can put your hands out. You can close your eyes if that's easy for you. And just repeat these words uh, of this benediction. I'm not what I do. I'm not what I have. I'm not what people say about me. I'm the beloved of God. It's who I am. No one can take it from me. I don't have to hurry. I don't have to worry. I can trust my friend Jesus and share his love with the world. That benediction, I put that for you guys. We made that, some of my friends made that into a poster. We actually printed out that poster. We framed it and we hang it in our kitchen so that we remind ourselves and any guests that comes over uh, that they can uh, just remember these truths too. So that poster is for free. If you go to dadtire.com forward slash Kent, you can download that, print it at Walmart for 30 cents, frame it, and uh, just as a way to remember these truths. Let me pray for you. Jesus, would these words ring deep into our spirit and heart? God, that there's literally nothing we can do, nothing we can have, nothing that somebody could say about us that would take away the truth that we are a beloved child of you. Would that be the motivation of everything else that we do? Is that we are loved by you, God. Lord, sink these truths deep into our hearts. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hi, I'm Kevin Day, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel South. I really hope you enjoyed the message and that God spoke to your heart through it. If you'd like to know more about our church and find other messages to watch, head over to ccskent.org. And I would love to meet you at one of our Sunday services. God bless you.